Have you ever wondered why somebody would run a smaller wheel on the back of their mountain bike or a larger wheel and fork on the front and create what is affectionately known as a mullet? Well, we wondered the same thing because we're seeing a few more of these pop up now. We've seen some pros throw in a 27.5 wheel on the back of their 29er or a 29er fork and wheel on the front of their 27.5 full suspension bike and racing them at the pro level of enduro. But why? What's the benefit? Why would you mix wheel sizes? Well, we turned to Mullet Cycles Founders, a brand who has built their entire collection with some really cool stuff coming up on the mixed wheel size concept. We talk about the benefits of such a setup and handling is a big one, but it's not the only one. We also talk about the history of how bikes came to be with two same size wheels front and rear and why Moto is running a smaller wheel sometimes on the back and sometimes on the front, depending on the application. It's a really fascinating conversation that might have you thinking about a mullet setup for your next mountain bike. So that's the business up front. Now let's get this party started in the back. What's up, Bikerimer fans? Today I'm here with Miles Schwartz and Mike Vitovich, the co-founders of Mullet Cycles. Say hey, guys. Hey. Hey, everyone. All right, so real quick, whose voice is whose? Say your own names just so people know whose voice we're listening to when you're talking. Uh, this is Miles Schwartz. And this is uh, Mike Vitovich. All right, on. Okay, so I'm going to speed through the timeline of the brand Mullet Cycles real quick because what we really want to talk about today is the whole mixed wheel size you know, quote unquote, mullet bike. And how do you guys got to the point where you launched a brand specifically around that? And I think, you know, I've talked to Miles quite a bit about this in the history and the applications of mixed wheel size throughout the years. Um, it's pretty interesting. The physics of it is super interesting. So I think people are going to really geek out on this. But you guys launched the company in 2016. 2017, you had your first prototypes and you started working through. And then finally in summer 2019, available for sale. Does that pretty much sum it up? Yeah, 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 that's pretty yeah. much right. Okay. So, a lot of work in it, obviously, but yeah. yeah. I mean, I'm sure we glossed over a few things yes. there, but. Yeah. So let's, uh, all right, why? Like what was, what got this mixed wheel size thing in your heads? I can take that because it's kind of a two-part story, and I know that your caster, uh, 30 minutes less, so I'll keep it short. Um, I've uh, been mountain biking since the inception. I grew up uh, in the late 70s, 80s, motoring, having that experience and, and doing a lot of um, sports of that nature with equipment. And when mountain bikes came up, I was stoked and followed them through all the progression, their wheel sizes, and suspension. So, um, as an enthusiast and a writer, um, I actually became involved in working in the industry in 2000, uh, as a mechanic and then shop mechanic. So that was my experience, uh, formally in the industry working in it and then getting to touch all the dream bikes and rides that I always wanted to. So that's how I got exposed to all the equipment and have access to it. As far as Tyler, as far as the mix wheel, um, while I was working in 2000, there were still some remnant, um, uh, I call them uh, 96ers, but 69ers still around. Um, once in a while, you'd see the old 24, 26ers floating around, but they were really gone by then. And I got a chance to ride the, the 96ers. Which was, um, Trek did one for a while. Yeah, Trek right? one. And we were, we were a uh, mood stealer 
and oh, yeah. um, and Moots was, and I forgot the gentleman's name that owned it at the time. He doesn't anymore, but he was totally stoked on it. Um, Ventana did a 96er. I was a dealer for them when I opened my own shop in 2012. And so I rode them, and I, the short story of that is I rode them, and that was against 26ers, and that was against 29ers as well. Back in those days, 275 wheel wasn't here yet. And I did feel some of the pros, um, what they brought to the table, but because the wheel size was disproportionately big and little, it also brought still a lot of cons. Um, so I was like, man, there's something here. There's something here. It's just, it's bringing as many advantages, uh, than a symmetrical wheel as disadvantages. So when I opened, uh, the short story is opened my shop in 2012, uh, was a motorcycle off-road shop, um, because I, uh, there were lots of mountain bike shops in our town and we probably didn't need another one at that point. And so, um, I was a gas, gas off-road dealer. And, uh, for the first year, the Spanish economy fell apart, which is gas, gas is a Spanish brand. So my second year of business, I didn't have, um, product to sell anymore. They stopped importing to the U S so uh, my buddies and I, who are all still avidly mountain biking quite a bit, said, hey, you got to shop up. Why don't you do mountain bikes? And I was like, well, you know, the mountain bike thing's kind of covered in our town. And if I'm going to do something, it's going to have to be um, something with advantages, better, I guess I would say, um, not just different. Um, and that's how I started bringing brands in, got great bands, Ibis, Turner, uh, Intense, Rocky Mountain, Foes, uh, Ventana, and I had my lab. And so I started the 275 wheel. If you go back and look when it was introduced in the U.S., Europeans held on to it for a long time. But in the U.S., I finally got that wheel in my hands and started to blend that bike together the best I could to make it work with adjustable headsets and uh, adjusting a lot of suspension to get the head angles in. And then I, I was like, ah, this is the golden ratio. This is it, a 275-29 with a geometry coupled with that a given geometry rails. And the cons were mitigated, uh, if not eliminated, and all the advantages just stayed there. And do remember, Tyler, I did get the opportunity in my lab, my shop, to compare it to great bikes. Nothing against those bikes, but full-on 29er Enduros from all those brands with all the different suspension designs. And um, still 26ers were floating there and 275s as well, Enduro bikes and cross-country bikes. So that's where... That's where the fire was lit for us, at least for me. Right on. I want to back up for a minute though, because mm. there's there's history of mixed wheel sizes beyond bike from yes years and years, and obviously there was a reason why the bike brands that were starting with those ninety sixers even tried it in the first place. Like, what? Where did mm -hmm. this whole thing start? So can I? Yeah, go ahead, Mike. I was just gonna throw out one thing from that, uh, and then you jump in, Miles. Uh, the ninety sixer was because when they went to 29, those 29er guys liked their 29ers, but they felt what it took away, some of the handling, some of the snap. Um, and so that was a knee-jerk reaction to say, well, maybe if we went back to that other wheel, and that's all that was available at the time. So that's why uh, what I saw working in the shops. Okay, Miles, you want to take it from there? <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, 
my where where I kind of like came in was um, Mike had already had built um, you know I call him you know mixed wheel bike but you know he had already built a mullet and um, basically told me I got to ride it um, and after riding it I smashed a bunch of Strava times and I was like that's there's something up here and went out on it again and put up a KOM and um, tried to beat some times back on my symmetrical wheel bike. And uh, I couldn't. So, I mean, I'm from New York. Which was a great bike. Right. Yeah. You know, I knew it. (laughs) I knew it, you know, and this was a new bike uh, and it was Mike's bike. And so um, being from New York, I just, I was like, well, how come, you know, I've been in the industry since the mid nineties. Um, heavily and so i i've kind of ridden everything i also had a specialized big hit um and you know i I instantly liked the big hit because i was like oh it'll be more difficult to go over the handlebars probably um so uh, you know mike told me all the technology you know techno uh, technological aspects of this platform but i still needed to do my own research and kind of tried to dive into the history of it and what i found was kind of crazy um, so in order to kind of figure out why and what we're doing here, we have to go back a little bit to the 1800s. Um, what came out, you know, we, we could call the Velocipede. I, I really can't call that a bicycle. It was more like a Flintstone kind of bike. But if we go to the, um, the Penny Farthington, which came out like in the late 1800s, really popular uh, way of transportation because obviously automobiles weren't that available and you had you know, horses. So it was either a bicycle or a horse and women couldn't have a license. So it was a great way for women as well to, um, to get around town, let's say. Um, the issue with them where they are extremely unsafe. I mean, that wheel can, uh, can send you flying if, if you would hit some, cause it was so huge. And the idea was, well, the bigger the wheel, the faster we would go. Well, this guy, John Starley, uh, took the rear wheel of, of a penny farthington and put it on the front and then he also made it chain driven instead of uh powering it from the front wheel so um and he called it the safety bike and it was called safety bike because it was a safer alternative to the penny farthington um and it was basically two 26 inch size wheels uh that platform more or less hasn't changed uh till i guess we can say somewhat recently um and, um, you know, during World War One, they found uh, great advantages to the bike for infantrymen being able to carry it around on the field. Uh, World War Two, in between World War One and World War Two, they started putting motors on these bicycles. And uh, they were they became extremely heavy. Uh, they kept getting rear flats was one of the issues. Um, so what they did was they put a smaller rear wheel and a larger rear tire to kind of make up for the diameter sizes. So it still had that safety bike platform. And then it was more difficult to get a flat in the rear with all the research I was doing. And I've read books and everything on this, on why motorcycles started using different size wheels, wheels, because that's really what I was after. Because I know bicycles always use same size wheels. Um, and it seemed like they kind of did it by mistake other than just trying to prevent flats. One of the benefits that they were finding was the front axle was higher than the rear because the front 
wheel was bigger than the rear. As a a result, it was a lot more difficult to go over the handlebars. Um, Kind of like a boat, when you're going over the waves and you increase your pitch of your bow, you don't punch through the waves. Instead, you're kind of able to catch air over it. So when motorcycles were out, you know, on on off-road, um, and whether they were scrambling, which was like enduro cross, that's what they used to call it back then, um, and they would hit large objects, so it would be more difficult to go over the handlebars. Um, so then um, what they started tuning was was handling after um, after they kind of, you know, figuring out their, their different wheel sizes. And what they found was as they're manipulating this, this was wheel platform more was that they weren't being limited by speed. In other words, on a symmetrical wheel platform on the safety platform, once the motorcycles would be getting around 40, they would be get very difficult to turn. They would just want to go straight when they had two different diameter wheels. They were able to turn with one arm basically. Um, and you know, from, from 10 to 80 miles an hour, it was pretty, it was pretty easy to turn the, uh, the motorcycle. So from there, um, that's how the motorcycle started using different wheel sizes. Now you see like in MotoGP bikes, they use a smaller front diameter wheel and a larger rear. Yeah. Why is that? Um, that seems counterintuitive. Right. Well, it allows the front wheel so you can turn into corners faster. Hmm. Um, and also get on top of the handlebars also allows you to drag your knee on the ground on the pavement and because you're on pavement and not off-road you're not worried about going over the handlebars um, which was which is why you know like on a, on a, a dirt bikes motocross bikes we they have generally a 21 inch front wheel and a 19 inch rear wheel now of course they have tie, you know, much larger tires, so that makes up for the diameter. If you actually measure them, uh, if you go to, you know, up to one of those dirt bikes, take a ruler, measure it from the top of the knob down to the floor. It's very similar uh, to a 20, 27 and a half mounted with a tire, and a twenty nine in the front mounted with a tire. Um, it's like thirty one and, and change, and, and, and thirty three and change. Um, so. Um, there's basically kind of like a sweet spot there. Now, I've, I've, you know, then going back into the bicycles, well, how come bicycles didn't adopt that like back then? And it was from what I've found, bicycles weren't going off road. Um, and the biggest race of the year was the Tour de France. Um, and you really don't need two different wheel sizes for a road bike because you're rarely going over 40 miles an hour. So turning isn't an issue. Um, they're easier to make, um, because they have two same size wheels, you know, for the market. So yeah, um, I, from what I found, it was a tour de France that just kind of limited it. Now, you know, we kind of fast forward into the eighties, you know, or even the late seventies, um, with the clunkers, they were basically being based on road bikes. Um, the handlebars, you know, didn't have any sweep. They were basically being spun upside down, so you had bar ends, um, super steep head tube angles. I mean, you know, all they're doing is putting knobby tires on them and saying, hey, this is a mountain bike. Um, you know, you look at like the early Shoguns and stuff. From there, it was just kind of like evolving technology on that platform. We got suspension, then we got hydraulic brakes, 
And then we got linkages, so we weren't pogoing around on the rear suspension all over the trail. <laughs> and um, we really never focused on the wheels um, because I feel like it was strongly so based on the road bike road bike platform because people one you know we just if you look at the whole history of it we've really only been going riding specifically off-road for like 30 years um so it's still fairly new and we're able to ride these bikes for instance like rebel rampage because of these geometry and how far we've been able to progress one technology suspension but also geometry because if you google safety bike uh you'll see a bunch of black and white pictures of bikes with two same size wheels if you slacken out the head tube angle put some big dirt tires on it and some suspension they look pretty close to a modern mountain bike right just add a bunch of suspension yeah um you know and good brakes obviously uh so and, uh, fast forward then yeah. to you guys' project. I mean, so you found there's benefits, and after your own test rides and crushing your old Strava times on some descents and stuff, you're like, all right, there's something to this. Um, what made you actually want to start your own brand to do this? I moved to Colorado Springs from Asheville, North Carolina, um, and I had like a you know accessory bicycle accessory company called Miles Wide. When I was going, uh, I'd go around to Colorado Springs, visit bike shops, and just kind of give away free swag, you know, kind of say like, Hey, I'm down. What's going on? You know, if you want any of this stuff, cool. Um, and what, and the last shop I went into was Mike's shop and it was because I had to make an appointment. Um, <laughs> lo, and behold, lo and behold, it was because he was kind of going out of business. I'll, I'll tell that part of it, Miles. When <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, um, I mean, I was just like, you know, well, let me ride it. Rode it. I was like, oh, my God, it's better. Um, and I was like, well, screw that. Let's make it ourselves. You know, I mean, you've been working on this platform since 2014 out of your shop with the brands you had, mixing wheels, seeing which platform worked best, you know, which brand worked the best. I mean, you're like i was kind of like well they're everyone's kind of like a monkey with the laser gun you've kind of been working on the laser gun for the longest amount of time so let's do it so i had my shop and i had my lab and i was working on it sorting things out and uh, a lot of people helped me out doing sanity checks making sure i wasn't kind of drinking my own kool-aid and um came up with that so i worked with i'm not going to say the name but i worked with a small brand thought it'd be a good situation and kind of handed over um, uh, that uh, mixed wheel design, some of the things and uh, continually worked with them to bring it to the market. We did. Um, it was always a tough struggle because no one kind of understood what I was saying. And they always, um, it was like pulling teeth, getting to get them to gravitate to the geometry I wanted and the bottom bracket heights and things of that. But the bike was getting better. And then, um, unfortunately, that um, organization I was dealing with decided to uh, continue forward on their own with it. Um, and uh, during that time, I had kind of uh, really focused my energy and my resources all into that uh, mixed wheel. And um, as a result, I had let all my great brands kind of go and go off to other shops so when I had done that and the rug got pulled out from under me, I kind of didn't have anything to sell anymore. 
so I, I kind of was forced to, to shut down because I didn't want to regenerate the bike shop at that point. Miles walked into my shop, I think, when I was winding down, pretty much selling off the last of my inventory. Um, I still kept my coveted bike, and that was the one that uh, I told him to go ride um, because I had a couple extra left at that point. So that's kind of how the shop iteration happened and why it winded down. Right. Um, and then that's when Miles said, nah, this can't stop here. This bike's too good, and, and, uh, and, and, and you think you can make it better? He says, why don't we make it on our own? So that's how that started. Cool. Um, yeah. And, and, and as from – because me and Mike are both riders, and we've both been in it for so long and basically had a taste of the best, like I didn't I, – I wanted one for myself. You know, that was really like, I was like, well, I want one because <laughs> I was like, I'll never have to, you know, I'll never need another bike. Um, and then, of course, it was like, well, no one else is doing this right now. Um, so that could be our edge because, you know, let's be honest, how can you compete with big bucks, you know, and a lot of the big brands? Yeah, you got to do something different. Yeah, I mean, not only different, but it also has to be better. It's got to be better. Um, yeah. And it's got to have a cool name, too, uh, <laughs> which turned out to be too cool, I guess. Um, a little too common, I think. A little, yeah, it turned out, yeah, everyone kind of liked it. Um, but, um, you know, it, it was different, but it was better. Um, and I couldn't, I mean, it would keep me up at night. So what's, uh, explain better, right? Like in your mind, what are, I mean, you, you mentioned like steering and being able to handle the bike at high speeds, but I mean, how often are any of us really going over 40 miles an hour off road? Like what, yeah. what are the benefits? You know what, Why would I want this? cover that real quick? Tyler? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. So, so basically during that time, if you think about it, what we had available to us, 275s are kind of just a better uh, 26er. So you kind of still had the small wheel platform, right? With the long travel and the slack geometry and then you kind of had your 29ers which encroached into to enduro bikes as best they can as well and i know your 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 uh, fan base is just going to go what are these guys talking about you know what i mean because these bikes are awesome and they are awesome but they each of those platforms when you compare them against each other what they giveth they also taketh you do not when you're on a 275 enduro brake bike a tremendous mountain bike it still does not roll, hold its inertia like a 29er. It just doesn't. And then when you go to the 29er, you just, when you look back on your 275, you just don't have um, the snappiness, the, the rigidity, um, the same type of bike. So, so you guys, we, were accepting those cons and those platforms, like a four-cylinder car and an eight-cylinder car. When you blended those two golden ratios together, and if you capitalize on the geometry fully and not just overlay traditional thinking of geometry, whether it's bottom bracket heights or chainstays, you really do get a bike that corners. And again, I know everyone's going to go, oh, my gosh, we talk. But it, and this was what was told to me, Tyler, corners more naturally. And I had guys on $9,000 wonder bikes, carbon wonder bikes and, and all kinds. I could name the brands. And I go, wait a minute, my bike, my aluminum bike, single pivot corners more naturally than your 9,000 carbon wonder. He goes, yeah. I had many customers that stepped off carbon bikes to go to my aluminum bike simply because they wanted my platform. What is it about that smaller rear wheel? Like why? So, 
So what it does is, and it's all in our site, and, and hopefully we did the best we could to explain it. But if you did a helicopter view and you looked at the radius, because I'm the one that, that did those crafts, you look at the radius. The 29er radius gives you a certain radius, and the 275, which is the static rear wheel, cuts in at a slightly different radius. So what, does what do you mean? 20, I mean, 29. radius, you have like the measurement of the wheel, but what do you mean by radius? So if you make Something a left different? turn, if you, if like you an make arc. a left turn, yeah. like an arc, right? Okay. So um, those two arcs are different. All of them are different, obviously, but they're different. Well, with that 29 and a 275, that bike has, the, in our humble opinion, the sweetest hout corners. And, and this has been told to us by countless people. And you go, well, my bike corner is great. Well, you've got to compare and contrast it. When you feel a symmetrical bike corner against a mixed wheel bike that's tuned properly and with that great ratio, your bikes will feel like they push. Hmm. Kind of like a trailer so the, downhill with the car. So the 27.5 rear wheel is going to cut in a little sharper, a little faster? Mm -hmm. It cuts in differently and causes the pressure point moving forward to be in a different place against the bike. Okay. So why not just I, I, take a really good 27.5 full suspension bike or, or hardtail, whatever, and put mm -hmm. a 29er fork on it yeah. with a 29 with so front wheel? What, yeah, that's what everyone wants to do, and that's the <laughs> economical way to do it. But what happens is is a lot of times the head angles get slacked out and, you, and more slacked out changes your trail your bottom brackets may get better or worse um so you can do that but it really does change quite a bit when you do it especially if you try to keep suspension the same um some bikes when i was modifying bikes for folks that wanted it so badly but loved their bikes only 10 percent less of the bikes i came across lended itself to modifying them. the rest of them would throw them out of the envelope to where it was kind of like ah so you can do that, obviously. You know what I mean? But does that kind of make sense about the geometry, bottom bracket heights, yeah. head angle, trail? Um, the, with the smaller rear wheel, like what Mike said, it creates a tighter arc, right, compared to the front. Slightly. Because it has a yeah. – slightly, right. Because yeah, it has a smaller – it has a less gyroscopic force in relation to the front. So it's going to be it's you're not going to feel the fighting on your front wheel and wanting where Mike says push almost like feeling like the bike's wanting to push you outside of Forward. your line, push you out yeah. of that turn. Yeah. And then I'd say the other major benefit is the front axle height. I mean, it, which has to be designed on the jig correctly this way, which uh, is pretty difficult. But basically, your front hub line is going to be higher than your rear hub line. Um, so when you hit rocks or you go through rock gardens and you, or you hit logs, you don't feel as much forces on your handlebars kind of like biting you forward, pushing you forward. Um, it, it's almost like as if there's, there's more of a lip on it and you're able to jump <laughs> off of it. Yeah. You, um, you know, it does Tyler, uh, you know, uh, miles, you said that boat analogy, but so when your hubs front is higher than your rear including your bottom bracket when you smack let's use a brick or a cinder block as an example on a flat ground the preponderance for the wheel to want to pop up and go over is much better than a symmetrical wheel where it stutters a little bit you you can feel it in a parking lot a gravel parking lot or anything like that it, it's it's got an upward bias and you can feel that on a motorbike as well when you hit stuff
You know, if we go back, I mean, using a boat's kind of silly, but, you know, it, it, it kind of works because you're able to visualize it. Um, but going back to, like, the symmetrical wheel platform, you know, we find that the only way we can have those bikes turning um, is with a low bottom bracket. Um, and to kind of compare that to a sailboat, um, because a sailboat needs a long keel because it almost turns around the bottom bracket or it turns around the keel. This way, the thing doesn't tip over uh, because the, the, the stern, the back of that sailboat and the front of the boat sitting in the water at the same height basically like a symmetrical wheel bike your your rear hub and your front hub is sitting off the ground at the same height so you need a keel or a low bottom bracket in order to keep it from feeling like it's tipping over whereas like you know you think about a power boat when your bow is pointed up slightly you're able to turn almost like around a dime you're almost turning around the rear of the, you know, the rear of the boat, or you're turning around the rear of the wheel. Hmm. So that's where, you know, it, it's on where Mike was saying it feels more natural. It just, your body in, in, in reference of where all those different forces are playing on your bike and, and you, your arms, as you're going through that turn, you just feel like you're centered. You, you, and, and that goes to the motorcycles. Like, you know, you can wave at people on a motorcycle and go around a turn going like 80 miles an hour. You would never think of, to do that on a bicycle. Doing like God 30. No. <laughs> you know, and, and when you're doing even 25 and you see a turn, generally your first instinct is go for your brakes. You know, you kind of get scared when you're on a, I mean, especially a, a Moto GP, but you know, or even a dirt bike, when you see a turn, sometimes, you know, you just grab the gas and let it rip. Um, and it's just because it just feels more natural. You're, you're more in tune with the, you feel more one with the bike, which was really the part that were, after I went on that first ride on Mike's bike, that was what was driving me crazy, um, was when I did my sanity check, when I went back to my symmetrical wheel bike, which I've I've known like the back of my hand, it felt wrong. Um, and it never felt wrong before. It felt like the best bike I've ever ridden. You're probably like, but, damn it. Yeah. <laughs> you should have saw his Tyler. Tyler, you should have saw his face. He did not want to believe it. Oh, this New Yorker, he just looked at me like, and I go, dude, take it out again. Second time. Maybe you had a good day. Take it out a second time. It took a and, couple tries with him. And he kept coming back and he goes, I don't understand. I don't <laughs> and, and that's why, like, I had to look into the history of it. I mean, I'm, you know, I'm jaded in the industry because I've been in it. Most of it's market, you know, a lot of it's market. I don't say most, but it's just, but it, 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 it was driving me nuts. <laughs> so let's let's say somebody wants to try and they're willing to do it. Because I feel like, you know, like, I mean, myself included, right? It's like, I'm almost scared to because what if I just like it and then I go back to all my bikes and I'm like, ah. Oh. Man, so, but let's say somebody's courageous enough to try your bikes. Um, you know, when things return to normal, are you guys going to do outer bike or demos? Like, where can somebody try a mullet cycles? And then, like, what's coming down the pipe from you guys next? Because right now, you just have a single hardtail model, correct? 
Yes, yes. You know, originally, uh, you know, Sea Otter got postponed. We were going to be launching um, a full suspension model, the Peacemaker, and also a gravel bike there, and uh, the aluminum um, Honeymaker uh, hardtail, uh, which is a bit more affordable, but it, it looked just as cool. Because <laughs> the original, uh, the first one that's out now is titanium, right? Yes, yeah. yeah. The, the one we have out right out, uh, now is titanium. Um, okay. So you got a lot coming. I mean, that's that's actually quite an impressive launch bundle for a, you know, a two-man startup. Uh, yeah, well. <laughs> that's how crazy we are. And by the way, our tie is a little bit of a different t- take on it. It's kind of an enduro tie, um, just to let you know. And, and that's its own separate podcast. But when I worked around with tie bikes, they were always kind of more in the lightweight flex side. You know what I mean? For for that so ours is a kind of a different spin on it on tie just cool well and i think yeah. for people interested too like we've had one of our uh, editors checking one out for a review and we should have that up soon so definitely mm-hmm. just mm-hmm. search mullet on bike rumor and you'll find it soonish you know we were going to be doing um a kind of just travel and go around the u.s um with bikes so everyone can ride it now um obviously that situation's changed if Outer Bike's on it, um, I mean, if uh, Sea Otter's on in October, yeah, we'll be there. Um, we'll be doing random demos at, at events as they kind of pop up, and we'll see what kind of entails throughout this year. Um, but we will be launching, or at least, you know, we'll, we'll be sending out the article to you and taking pre-orders on our full suspension. Um, and, um, yeah, I guess uh, definitely want to keep an eye out for that. Be awesome. A- Cool. Uh, where can people check that demo schedule? Uh, what's your website? Uh, so, uh, mulletcycles.com. Basically, be putting our demo dates and stuff on, on Instagram um, and then on our site. But really, right now, that's, you know, it's kind of hold off. Uh, we don't want to make the situation any worse than it may feel kind of it already is with social gatherings. So, yeah. Cool, guys. Uh, well, that was, yeah, thanks. That was super interesting. I appreciate your time and appreciate the story yeah, yeah. thank you appreciate hey, it thanks tyler thanks for having us on and hey uh, i know that's a lot of info and uh I, and rather than being a salesman a lot of that data is on our website on the mullet cycles trying to explain what we think we're bringing to the table that uh will uh stoke you out uh, on your next ride so thanks a ton thank you Bye, man. thanks Hey, thanks for tuning in. If you like this episode, hit that subscribe button on whatever podcast player you're listening to so you don't miss anything else. I will tell you right now, our next episode is really short. It's only about 20 minutes, but it is going to be super fun. It is with Paul Budnitz and his business partner and why they are shutting down Budnitz Cycles. So definitely tune in. We're going to post that one real soon because I just can't wait to get that out. Until then, if you're liking these podcasts, can you share with a friend? Help us spread the word and get more people listening because that is what helps us get more and more killer guests for you. So thanks a ton. Hit subscribe, hit like, leave us a comment. Thanks a ton. And until next time, keep the rubber side down.